Okay. Okay. Um, well, you're listening to Faded Mates. Uh, I am Sarah McLean, and I am here with my friend Jennifer Prokop. Jennifer Prokop, my faded mate, my faded romance mate. And this is episode three of Faded Mates. Thank you for sticking with us. And we are reading this week. Uh, what are we reading? Dark Need in a Winter's no. Night. No. <laughs> we don't know. We have no idea what we're reading. Sarah, let's be honest that we love this series, but we are struggling with the titles we a are. little bit. You know, it's because romance novels have title problems. I mean, let's just acknowledge it. Can we just acknowledge it? Like, yes. Romance novels are hard to title because readers have expectations and there are only so many times that you can write Wicked, Winters, Warlock, whatever. Dark. <laughs> and it's almost like a magic eight ball made these titles at some it, point. It really is. I mean, I got to say, right? I mean, I have some crazy titles. and But the reality is that especially in the mid-thousands when Cressley was titling these titles, titling these books – you know, every every book was, you know, dukes and wickedness and sin. Like, so, um, yeah, it's hard. But then about halfway through, this series gets so big that the titles just become <laughs> characters' names. And that's pretty great. It was great. I was like, this is a good naming protocol. I actually have a pretty half-baked theory about, because you were like, why are, you know, and I was like, I think the way it works is, and I feel like I have to put a tinfoil hat on to actually, like, explain the entire thing. Jen, I think you're right. Yeah, I was like, I think a word from the previous title appears in the next title. So, like, a hunger like no other, and then we get no rest for the wicked, and then wicked deeds. And because I've spent so much time thinking about this, like, how are they? And then I was like, oh, it's like a big game of hopscotch, right? Like, one title is just, like, sort of building the bridge to the next one. Yes. That's my theory. Yes. I fully endorse it, especially when you look at next week's title. But what's important is that this week's title is Wicked Deeds on a Winter's Night. Um, also slightly complicated because it's not really winter in this book at all. It's set in a tropical jungle, mostly. She's um, wearing a string bikini at, for a lot of it. And she shorts. really is. But then, like, it's winter. It's the dark winter of the hero's soul. And that's what's important. We all know the climate of the hero's soul is the most important thing. That is the most important thing for naming a book, for sure. (laughs) In a book. So, um, Wicked Deeds on a Winter's Night uh, introduces us to the witches. Oh, I love this so much. The witches are here, finally. And our heroine, Mariketta the Awaited, is a young Super young, you guys. First, I mean, Emma was young, too. But wasn't Emma, like, 60? Mariketta's an actual co-ed, not kind of impersonating a co-ed because <laughs> she just looks really young because she's an immortal. Mariketta's 23. She's 23. And she is not immortal yet. And that's a big piece of this puzzle um, because that adds a whole level. We've talked so much about how Cressley um, and Paranormal in general like up the stakes and up the stakes and up the stakes and keep the stakes really high. Well, in this book, um, the heroine isn't immortal, so she can die. And that changes everything. 
Um, so anyway, we have our heroine, Mariketta the Awaited, who is um, the first of the heroines um, in the books or characters in the books who is a witch. She is um, uh, she has been essentially she has been awaited for many, many, many thousands of years. Right. Um and here she is finally, she is expected to basically take on the mantle of saving the coven and also potentially saving the world. Well, and I, I we talked a little bit about um, like person versus fate last time. And and I, I love a story where there's a prophecy. And so one of the things we know about Mariketta, the, the weighted part is that um, she has the only witch who is essentially an expert in all five of the witches' casts. She is more powerful than any other witch um, has ever been, and and it, her her arrival has been forecast. And she doesn't know what it is she's going to be expected to do, but this idea that um, that her her destiny is one of greatness, and yet she's so young. I just it it. It's the the building blocks of a really great character. And um, on top of all this, we've got uh, – she happens to not really be able to use powers, <laughs> which is pretty delightful, delightful in the very beginning of this book. Okay. Give us a brief overview because it really is a, oh, it's such a good opening. So we left you last week. Um, with no rest for the wicked, um, with a very, very happy and and um, happily ever after Sebastian and Caterin. And um, but somebody was left in eternal flame. <laughs> Bowen, our werewolf friend, uh, was left in a burning tunnel, right? It's a tunnel, right? Yeah, he deserved it, though. He did. He was a jerk. He was um, such a and jerk. So he was left in this tunnel. And um, and inside a tomb uh, where – as part of the Amazing Race. So the Amazing Race is still going on. One of the things that we talked about a couple of weeks ago um, was that um, Cressley does this really cool thing where she is currently – she writes concurrent books. Um, so this book, uh, the last book, the next book, and I want to say one more um, are all concurrent uh, so they will all happen at the same time and relate in some way to the Amazing Race. Actually, the next book may probably won't, but there are there is another Amazing Race book in the mix, right? Because the Demon Brothers kind of come back. Exactly. And so um, what's happening is so we've we've lost we've the Amazing Race has completed. We've seen who wins because that happened last book, and now here we are. Um, and the characters who are stuck in this tomb who were competing and have now. And are now sort of in the tomb together um, will ultimately obviously not win because we know how the whole thing turns out. And uh, here we are in a tomb. <laughs> and um, Bowen, the werewolf, uh, desperately wants to win the Amazing Race because if you'll remember from last week, the prize for the Amazing Race is a key that will turn back time. And he has a mate um, who he's lost, and we start to realize that werewolves. Um, we know werewolves have a single, a single faded mate, and we know that the loss of a mate is so profound for werewolves that they literally can't go on usually. But 
Bowen, we are told um, or made to believe, is so strong that he has somehow been able to survive without his mate, despite the fact that she died um, on a full moon running from his beast, which is super traumatic. Um, I mean, 200 years worth of trauma. Yeah. And so he spent 200 years sort of riddled with guilt about her death, trying to imagine what a life, what an immortal life would be like without a mate. And finally, he has access to a chance to turn back time and uh, and save her, except um, he loses the Amazing Race. He doesn't get access to this key. The high, I should call it the high, not the Amazing Race. I just thought of something interesting, which is for 200 years, he's been what he thinks is sort of like wasting away. But Mariketta, you're, you're going to hopefully talk about this in a minute. She she curses him. And then he's like for really the whole book with Katerin, like we know this, he's literally wasting away. Like now he knows what it is. <laughs> and I think that's like really interesting. Like she's really... Um, there's like nothing left of him, right? She's just peeling layers and layers and layers back until he is just this, uh, you know, he, she really strips him down. Sure. And she pisses him off. And he leaves her locked in a tomb with a bunch of people, a bunch of other immortals, and a handful of incubi who want to die, who literally want to die. <laughs> and yeah, it's really scary. Yeah, and it's terrifying because um, they're, hor- they're horrible beings who could easily kill her. Um, they're trapped in an enchanted tomb. Um, they can't get out. None of these immortals can get out. Um, and uh, and they would be fine, except Mariketta, as we've pointed out, is not yet immortal. Um, but luckily, she's, she's cursed our werewolf friend, Bowen, and he um, can only survive if he returns uh, to the scene of his crime and... Um, opens the tomb again and saves her, um, which he does. And then they are trapped in a subtropical jungle for a long time. Weeks. uh, Trying to get out. Uh, And they fall in love. (laughs) (laughs) She kicks his ass. Yeah. But she puts him through the ringer and it is delightful. Absolutely. Delightful. Uh I loved rereading this one. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've loved rereading them all, but this one um, it is just, it, it was a real pleasure to, after last week, after last time kind of feeling so sad and emotional, this time around instead feeling um, like po- the power, right? She is nothing but uh, like a, she's just 100% power. And I loved that. And that's the key here. I am, um, we're, we have a special guest today, which we're going to talk about, um, and who will introduce and you'll get to hear her her talk um but one of the things that comes up in the conversation that you're about to hear is that um this really is the beginning of Cressley's heroine heyday i mean here we start to see a Cressley Cole heroine just come into her own uh and i feel like um Mariketta is the is the beginning of what Cressley will do over the course of the series um, with heroines. And part of the reason why I am so enjoying, and I think I enjoyed this book on the reread in 2018 even more than the prior two, is that 
Marichetta's strength is so important. And also, I just desire this kind of strength in a heroine these days. Um, and I think she's so incredibly good at um, creating, as Cressley is so good at creating alphas, period. And here she is sort of building up this alpha heroine. Um, and I just can't think of a time ever in my romance reading life where I've wanted alpha heroines more than right now. Absolutely. Yeah. So this was, this scratched my itch in a big way this week. Well, and to think that this book is 12 years old, right? And, and the power of Mariketta is still really unparalleled is, um, means we all need to do better. Okay. So last June, I was at RWA and met up with Adriana Herrera. She is a um, will be coming out with her debut romance novel. She'll tell us about it um, in next spring, in spring of 2019. And um, she and I sat down and lunch one day, and we got involved in a really fascinating conversation about um, domestic violence in romance. And we ended up, um, she agreed to essentially let me interview her for a piece that um, was published at the Smart Bitches that we'll link to in the show notes because I think it's a really amazing read. And she just has, she, uh, Adriana works in trauma, she she works in social work, and the, the resources she has at her disposal for understanding this, um, it was a fascinating conversation and really changed the way I think about romance and, and, and what when I read a, a character who has a traumatic past, what I expect the author to do to to sort of make that right. So um, in our chatting, it turns out that she is an Immortals After Dark fan. And I asked her if she would be on our podcast and she was really excited. And even better is I asked her, like we kind of asked people what book they'd like to talk about. And she, she, without even thinking about it, I mean, I think she texted back immediately. I would have had to look up the title. <laughs> she knew exactly which one she wanted, and it was this one. So we're really excited to have her as our first guest. Oh, it's a fascinating conversation where she talks about girl power versus feminism, women's ability to heal ourselves from trauma, and why Bowen is the ultimate fuckboy. So welcome, Adriana. Tell us about uh, yourself and your writing, and then maybe you can segue into why this is the book you wanted to discuss. Um, my debut novel's coming out in March. It's a gay romance. I don't necessarily consider myself a just gay romance author, but that's just happens to be the first book I wrote. It's called American Dreamer, and it's coming out with Karina Press in March, and it's um, a story about Ernesto Vasquez. He's a Dominican entrepreneur who's taking his Afro-Caribbean food truck to Ithaca to try to make it a success in upstate New York and falls in love with a shy but very, like, sharp-tongued librarian. So... I love a food truck romance. I know. It's kind of cute. I'm biased, but I think it's pretty good. <laughs> That's how um, I met Adriana was um, I was at a signing at at Strand, right? That's yes, where we met. That's right. Um, and you came up to me after and we were just talking. And then you said, I'm writing a food truck romance. And I lost my mind. <laughs> um, yes. And I'm so, so excited for this book and I cannot wait. If you parked a food truck inside a salt circle, you could Sarah Sarah McLean into it right away. 
<laughs> I mean, I feel like in this one, she would want to stay there. Oh, I absolutely would. Yes. Adriana, tell us how you got to IAD. How did you come to find the series, read the series, love the series? So I came to Cressa Cole, interestingly enough, because of her historical romance. <gasps> Interesting. Yes. So and surprisingly enough, I was actually like at that point obsessed with paranormal. That was all I was reading. But I was like taking a break. And Did you know that she had written IAD? Or was this like at 2000, in 2006? Like, have you, are you an original? No, <laughs> I actually read, I actually looked this up and I was living in Ethiopia when I read um, the first few books. This was like in 2009. What were you doing in Ethiopia, can I ask? So I worked um, in humanitarian relief organizations. Um, my partner and I um, did that work overseas for about seven years. And five of those years, we lived in Ethiopia. So um, the Kindle was literally a miracle that happened in my life in 2008. Because instead of bringing a suitcase full of books to Ethiopia with me every year when we came home, I could just download books into my Kindle. Oh, that's amazing. And so you were reading paranormal in like the heyday of paranormal. So you were reading like J.R. Ward and yes. uh, Janine Frost and Lindsay Sands and Karen whole, Marie Monet, yeah. Ilona Andrews, like all these Patricia Briggs, like all those um, all those books that were coming out back then. And I had, but I hadn't discovered her until after I read her like the McCarrick Brothers trilogy, which is like one of my favorite historical romance series ever. And it should be because it's delicious. Oh my god. And also really fascinating because it's first of all you can see like the heartbeat of IAD in that series. Right, like the right. Scottish the her love of Scotsmen. Yes. Um and also the the themes are all sort of very similar, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Her men are very similar. And I think those three guys especially have like a real essence to like the men that she has in the IID um, series. I I like Bowen, especially if I can talk about my favorite one of my favorite fuckboys. He's not my favorite <laughs> because my favorite is Lothair, who's everybody's favorite. Um, fuck oh, boy. I know. Yes. <laughs> Yes, he, he's my favorite fuckboy for sure. Well, he's that man that you had to cut loose five years ago, but it's still in your mom's phone family plan. <laughs> oh, God, that's so real. It okay. really is who he is. Um, he left you unread five years ago, and yet he's still in your mom's family plan. <laughs> I'm just cackling over here because that's so real. Okay, but let's, you can come back and talk about Lothair later. Let's talk about Bowen. So this was the book that you were like, that's the one I want to talk about. So is it because of Bowen? It's because it was so vivid to me. Like, I think I remember reading that book where I was. And I remember thinking, this is so fun. Yeah, well, and also, also, it feels like you were, you were far away yes. from home. And yes. this book is far away from home. Yes. Yes. Oh, I love it when books find you. Isn't I know. that the best? 
And I was working a lot in the field back then, like in rural Ethiopia. So I was like reading a lot of these like novels and like, you know, no, no power, no electricity, like sometimes and like not the the best hotels. So I was like very much like in the wilderness when I was reading a lot of these. So I just remember kind of that time reading the, 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 the series and thinking like, this is just like pure escapism. Like, I'm just like going away with these books. But with, with this one specifically, I just thought it was so clever. Like the premise, like she starts back then, like the amazing race was still very popular. And that's kind of like how the book starts. Well, and we talked last week about, or last time, about how um, this is a book that also just adds like a layer, right? So in the first book, we get um, Sebastian and Katerin and and a lot more of The Amazing Race. And this one, we get sort of the beginning and, and, and him trapping them into this terrible cave. Yes. And and so it's really like a story. We kind of know how this is going to end. And when, you know, when he traps when he traps them in there, we know that he himself is going to be trapped somewhere for a couple of weeks and that this misery is not going to be over anytime soon. So that really adds this layer of um, like dread as a reader yeah. where, where you're just like, oh no, Bowen, you're going to regret this. Right, right. Yeah. And I think like, and also, I mean, what I love about this heroine in particular is that she like is always saving herself. Mm-hmm. in ways that are like so powerful like i really and i mean reading going back to it like i just read it over the last couple of weeks um first i was like thrown by how young she was i didn't remember yes. her being so young i was like shit 23 i could barely like figure out my like building laundry machine when i was 23 <laughs> but um Going back, like what I really liked about them was that tit for tat, although she has that in every book, like every mm-hmm. heroine is like very tit for tat with the heroes, like they, they're not like one upped. But with her, I really liked how she was just like so resilient. I think one of the things I found, like last time we talked about Katerin and how it's, it was about emotions, right? Like the the depth of her feeling for her lost sisters. Mm-hmm. And this one, it's really all exploring a, a fem- female power because Mariketta is a, like a literal powerhouse. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really know what to do with her power, but she is just power in pure undiluted form. And I loved that. I like reading about Katerin again, kind of made me sad at times reading Marquetta made me want to go out and kick somebody's ass. Yeah. And she was, I mean, I, one of the things that I find interesting about this series and I always, you know, um, like I'm always like looking for that piece of kind of like societal um, complications and, and the world she's like given us has a lot of like discrimination, prejudices um, within the different um, types of immortals, right? So there's like the, the werewolves and the witches hate each other and there's all this like prejudice against the witches from like all of the lore. So it's there's a lot of that. And I, I really like the fact that Mariketta like really called Bowen out on that, like, like really made him like see his prejudice. And like, mm-hmm. you're like playing yourself, essentially. Like you are creating, like you, you keep doing this and you're playing yourself because you know that we're going to end up together. So what are you going to do about all this like hate that you've like 
kind of just like let sit there. And I really liked about that about her that she was young, but she was like really willing to kind of like go there. You know, I think that's so interesting because while I was when I was rereading this last week, I was thinking over and over again that I'm I'm not sure I'm not sure that I I read this book with the same I know I didn't read this book. I haven't read this series with the same lens um before as I am now, sort of in twenty eighteen. Right. And I feel like it really is resonating for me in a incredibly powerful way now mm-hmm. on the reread. And part of this book particularly, what I love about it is Mariquetta's willingness to call Bowen out and then also her sort of unabashed desire to stand in her own power yeah and refusing to let him save her Mm -hmm. because she's just fine thank you Mm -hmm. well and the thing that was it's funny because with every hero it's funny you called him a fuck boy the thing that i like made me really furious at him was his insistence that she could just like not practice magic and and when she says to him finally, like, oh, so you're going to stop hunting and running in the night? Right, right. Like, and and that, I don't know, that really resonated with me, like, in, in 2018, for sure, this idea that a, a man could just assume something so vitally important to a woman could just be left behind at his at his order. Well, and he does it again and again. He does it when he comes to get her and he brings her her toiletries um, and her her vibrator, right? Yes. Her lipstick. And then he throws it in the river because he doesn't – he says she doesn't need it. And then there's the moment where um, he tries to take her birth control. Yes. And she's like, no, no. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> And I mean, the thing about these books, right? Like these books are 12 years old, right? Yeah. This was like pretty brazen for a woman to be writing into um, a romance novel. You know what I'm saying? Like it was like, I mean, a lot of what she did, I felt like it was just very empowering. And especially Mm -hmm. for women that age, you know, like thinking about a 23 year old woman reading that. And thinking that, like, no, I do need that vibrator. Thank you very much. And the birth control. Yeah. And on top of it, like, with unabashed sex positivity. Yeah. There's there's no moment in this book where Mariquetta isn't absolutely proud of her past. She had a boyfriend for five years. He was a demon. <laughs> it was they had great. great sex. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no and, – and what I love about that, especially coming off of – Cressley being a historical writer, right, where in historicals, so much of this is just sort of stagnated. The sort of virginity as a construct is so, is so, virginity is so prized in historicals so often um, that this, this idea that Mariquetta would say, virginity is a construct, go fuck yourself, is remarkable. Well, and not only that, but there's all these scenes where they're like, Right, like you think they're going to have sex and then he screws it up and she's like, get out of here. But that and I, it was funny because I had not read the, like I'm rereading it again. And I and I was kind of like, oh, are we going to get a replay of a hunger like no other where, you know, it's the full moon and, you know, he can't hold himself back. And instead, it's this amazing scene where she uses her power to immobilize him. 
And it's, and I found it again, like the, the insistence over and over again that she knew her, her mind, she knew her body, she knew her, she doesn't know how to control her powers, but she knows it's important. I found her to be a really remarkable heroine. And this especially struck me that it's the first book where the heroine's not a Valkyrie. There's no Valkyries in this book. And you know, that's kind of a, a big transition then in the series that you're going to blow out this world and introduce us to a whole new group of, of immortals that we don't really know that well. That That's a dangerous moment, I think, in a series. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, I think Mariketta, like, kind of, because, re- like, Mariketta is, like, on the cusp of, like, really, like, unleashing all this power into this world, Right. So she's like a real catalyst for like, I think like it really, I feel like she really kind of like shaped, I I feel like a lot of the dynamics for the heroines in, in the series. I mean, at least that's how I felt. Like I felt, and I, maybe that's why I remembered her so well. Cause like she really stuck out to me as like a really different heroine than maybe what I, what the ones that I had read up until then in paranormal romance. Yeah, she's like the primordial, yeah. you know, heroine of yeah. IAD. I think you're right. And I think, um, you know, we've talked about how A Hunger Like No Other is the first book of the series, but No Rest for the Wicked, which is book two, um, is really the first book where we start to see what Cressley was envisioning for the, the series. And I think this book might be, you may have hit on on this idea that, this book might be the first time we really see like what a heroine in Cressley Cole's hands can be. Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that made her really intriguing and compelling to me is the fact that she has her own dark past, right? Like usually in, in the paranormal romance, like you have the dark hero, right? But like Mary Ketta has like a very sad story. Like she felt like she was left by her parents. She's like, alone in this quest to like figure out how she's going to control this power that could be like the destruction for her world like she has like a real like it's like usually the hero's journey right like this like enormous responsibility and she's not willing to turn her back on it no right and she's like like looking to figure it out on her own like willing to take the risk of whatever it is that she's going to find on the other side of that mirror. Like she's doing it on her own. Sarah, you were saying earlier that you were um, looking at like how many times apples were used. I think there's a lot of symbolism in here and Adriana just mentioned the mirrors. So why do you think that we get this like sort of intensifying of this like symbolic nature of like the apples and the mirrors? Like what do you, as a writer, I was sort of curious what the two of you might think about that. I don't think I noticed on the first read at all the symbolism. And now, of course, I can't stop thinking of um, Snow White, right? Um, and it's clearly – Snow White is the allegory here. There's this, you know, who's who's the fairest. When it when we sort of get to the end of the book and you sort of – it unpeel – it peels back um, the sort of uh, – the, the evil witch, the – the god she's not a goddess she's a what is she a sorceress hexa yeah yeah um i guess the three there's three of them this like triumvirate of witches right hecate and hexa and yes the one that's always good the one that's always bad and the one that is both right 
and Hexa is always bad. And so you sort of have this moment of this kind of like maleficenty feel, right, of, of this character, except um, – so – the apples, I mean, the sort of apple as knowledge, apple as temptation, apple as um, – it's all there, obviously. But for me, the Snow White was really present. And for me also, I had this moment where I was like, oh, wait, this is a Cressley um, – this is sort of a, a – it's a fingerprint of, of Cressley's, this kind of Disney connection. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Say more about that. Because it comes back again and again. That is really fascinating. And now that you say it, I can totally see it. Sure. And right up until, and this is sort of spoiling the future a little bit, but when we get to Wicked Abyss, the heroine literally works at Disney. Yeah. Doesn't Cressley live in Florida? Is this like... He does. (laughs) Is this a Florida thing? And I, and you know what, now that you're saying that, like, I always think about the Valkyries and like that, like sorority girl kind of like feel that they have. Like, I always imagine them as, like, this, like, kind of, like, band of, like, college girls, like, out of, like, the Clueless movie or something. <laughs> I think you, I think that's how you're supposed to. I I'm, think so, with too. You. And you want to secretly join them. Here's the thing, though. The, the mirror part, to me, is, like, a nod to, like, the sorority girl thing, right? Like, mm-hmm. like women who look at themselves in the mirror too much are vain and are, are like, think too highly of themselves. They're too worried about the, the wrong things, right? Like, when you get punished by society for being too too vain, too beautiful, right? So the fact that she's the the queen of, of reflections, I just thought that... There, I, I constantly am impressed at the way that Cressley is essentially, like, reclaiming um, the the things that are used against sort of femininity or, or womanhood or right. Sort of like the gender essentialism for women. And I, I think it's like a reclaiming of it. Like women can be trapped by those expectations too. And I, and I thought there was something really powerful. I found myself thinking a lot about mirrors and how, what the role they play in our lives. And, and I, I, I just, I don't know. I, it was very um, uh, contemplative for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, I like that that point of like that we can really be really trapped. And at the end of the day, like only we can really like liberate ourselves from it as well. Because I really I really appreciate it that even um, at the end when, you know, Bowen kind of like had to go there and kind of like ask her to come back to him it was very much like she was in control you know like it wasn't like him him like kind of like snatching her back but it was like her kind of like letting go and like understanding the importance that she had in his life and she wasn't willing to be anything but the most important thing I always think about trauma when I'm reading books because I work in trauma and I really like loved how she built like that piece of like her, her, like the, like she repaired the, the, how the attachment with her parents, like that brokenness of her and losing her parents and how like she repaired that for her in like really significant ways. Like I always look for like the viability of how this repair, like the reparations work in these stories. Cause sometimes it's like, 
no, that person's never going to get over this. Like, that's not going to work. But I felt like she did a really lovely job of, like, really repairing that bond for her and, like, really creating a viable, like, happy, happily ever after for her. And a community of people. You know, we've talked before about this idea of sort of found found family. And I love – one of the things I love the most about this book is that there's this kind of merry band with them the whole time. There are the two demons who are about to become heroes of future books. There are the elves who are with them. When she gets trapped, when they all get trapped in the cave together at the very start of the book or the tomb together at the very start of the book, she's not alone. She's with people and she's with people who like care about her, surprisingly, right? I mean, they're strangers and they've been competing with each other. And I feel like they are, they too, this band of people are a piece of how she does heal. Yeah, the resilience. Well, and she literally heals herself. I mean, every time she's injured. God, I love those. Oh, mag- I love those, that. The magnificent ivy visuals yes, yeah. are so beautiful. Yes. And I really, I like, I... I had not really remembered that, but this time around, I was so moved by it. The whole idea that you have to heal yourself. I mean, it just is so, it's, it was really beautiful to me. And from nature, right? Like right. From, from nature, like she had to lay and let the earth like heal her. I, I thought it was just like a beautiful symbolism of women and like our bodies. Yeah. I mean, I also think that one of the most powerful things that kept coming back to me during the, the reread on this was um, the the fact that she really she he never saves her. He she is always the the sort of formative savior. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, right at the very start, you think, oh, God, she's locked in this tomb with these other people and it's terrible and he has to come back and save her. But the reason why he has to come back and save her is because she's cursed him. Right. She's she is the she is the catalyst for his saving her constantly right through to that bonkers scene <laughs> with the gorillas in the jungle. <laughs> I, I had repressed all those all that whole I scene. Right. Where she's totally like totally forgot that not scene. Gonna survive this. It's I know. bonkers. <laughs> um. Have you guys seen Jack Ryan on Amazon? No. Well, it's this this show, this uh, John Krasinski show on Amazon, and their first episode is very similar. One of the early episodes is very similar to this, where, like, they're in a bunker and, like, they have to – people just, like, blow up an entire field of soldiers to get to one man, like, in the – in the in the bunker and i felt like this time i was like this is mental what's happening here it's honestly i will tell you i'm not i mostly am a reader i don't really watch tv i i do like going to the movies though but my favorite genre of movie i tell my students this all the time is handsome men blow things up yeah well and that's what this is yeah i just want to see action movie except it's better because he's also a werewolf who's just just like will tear through anybody anything to get to her and she's the reason why like again she's the catalyst she's his mate she is the one who is and i she's summoning him and she knows she's summoning him and like she loses any sense of trepidation right because in in this 
context, right? Like she knows that it's the first full moon since they met. She knows that they're mated now. She knows she knows what's coming. And there's a very real sense with Cressley always with her heroes and heroines that like um, sex is is going to come. It's going to be fantastic, but it's also going to be like it's going to change them forever. And there's no going back. And that's a very clear hallmark of a Cressley Cole novel. And in this particular case, like I love the moment where she's like hiding in the woods or in the jungle. And then these people come upon her and they're the bad guys. And she's basically like, you're making a terrible mistake. And they take her anyway. And she's like, fine, have it your way. He's coming. (laughs) I love the moment where he's essentially at the metal door. Yes. And there's this pause. Yeah. And she knows it's because he does he doesn't want her to see, see him, him that way. Yeah. Oh, it's magnificent. And I mean, the one of the moments in this book to me that was like when like he double downs on his fuckboy ass and calls her <laughs> Mariah. Oh, you guys, I gasped. I gasped. I had blocked that out from the first reading, apparently. And <laughs> me too. Calls her the wrong like, name. You did not just do that. And like the thing about her that I love, it's like she's like, no, like you need to do better. Like this is over. Like this sex was just amazing, but you need to get yourself together. I couldn't believe she forgave him. I was like, I'm going to need you to put him in cold storage for several weeks. <laughs> Very several much so. Weeks. Well, and, and I love how... you talk to him again. Especially because his excuse is like, well, it's been like 200 years of me not thinking of anybody else. It's like, I don't care, dude. Yeah. I love it. It's magnif- It's a magnificent way of, of, of revealing a, a hero's... Cressley never ever lets up on heroes they are flawed their flaws stay with them you know long after i think lesser authors would let go of them i mean i am and i include myself in that i feel like i would never i never commit to heroes flaws the way cressley does and it's what makes the books terrific it really i mean it really brings out like and i i just said something really i think like key in the like 0.5 episode when I was listening to it, when you talked about these heroines, which are modern and empowered and full of like feminist values. And then these like tired, immortal, like weary men and like how, like she's just like clashing that over and over again in these stories. Like, just confronting those two worlds right and then like it truly is that new blood really kind of brings out a new a new man like a man that can like live up to this woman that has like called him out on his bullshit and read him for filth through an entire book (laughs) you know what's funny though and and at some point i said i thought that fury right like sarah and i are both convinced that fury is going to get pulled out of the bottom of the ocean right that um Ooh. that I was like, I think that what's Josephine's brother's name? Thad. Thad or something. I was like, I think it's gonna be Fury and Thad. And Sarah was like, You're ridiculous. He's too young. <laughs> it and I was can't like, be. Look, 
I understand that, but I want us all to have a moment where we examine that that is our our internalized sexism. If these young modern women can fix these exhausted men, why is it that the opposite just seems ridiculous? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna put that out there, right? Because I feel the same way. It's because I want to hold Thad in my like warm bosom and like <laughs> cook him pasta. That's why. <laughs> All right. I'm just saying we many episodes from now are going to discuss this. But like, I just think there's something really interesting that that's we want. This is who we think will fix heart like right. Exhausted men. Yeah. But but furious, angry women cannot be fixed by like young football players. I feel like. <laughs> A young body could f- fix a lot of problems. Oh, yeah. You know, lady like for that's sure she tired. could have some fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my God. And scene, right? Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, but it's like, it's an interesting thread, right? And I think it's like um, speaking to the craft um, that you have mentioned before, Sarah, and we're mentioning today. It's like, I think reading her books is really like a master class in how you like build and build and build and build on on stakes until that you're literally breathless Mm -hmm. there's a fearlessness to it yes and i don't i don't know how you get that maybe you do (laughs) yeah I mean it just has to be like an extreme amount of discipline of saying I am letting myself do this you know yeah because it's it truly is like remarkable the level to which she takes us in these stories and it's like there's no way this is gonna work out like he has no eye (laughs) and she's trapped like with like a lot of succubi yeah right and she there's never a moment in the whole series where that isn't mm-hmm. Cressley's like driving force. I mean, it begins with a man gnawing off his leg, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. this is this is the bar that's ground zero of a mortal subject. Like this is the yet the third book in a row, everybody, where someone loses a limb, <laughs> and I, and I was like, oh man, again, I sent Sarah a text. I was like, <laughs> she doesn't have a leg right now. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Maybe that's a metaphor for something. I don't know what. We'll get there. There's a lot of limbs that go missing in this series. I think it's, you know what, though? Like, I do think it's a metaphor. And I think it's about how you have to, you you have to, like, reassemble yourself for love. Yeah. Like, literally rip shit out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like, you literally have to, and like, come with all your baggage and just start tearing stuff off if you're going to make it work. And it does feel like that big. And I think it's just like a really, I think that's why it's so relatable. And that's kind of also like the great thing about paranormal romance, right? Like there's like no holds barred, like none, like you can just let yourself sink into these like insane stories. And it's like, yep. I'm in it because everything is like the stakes are like huge from the get go. Like nobody dies. There's like 70 types of different person. Like, right. Well, I actually think that's why I'm really fascinated by the um, it's the incubi who who pay Mar- Mariketta to, mm-hmm. to kill them mm-hmm. because we are getting, 
you know, we've had a couple books now where the immortals are, will do anything to stay alive. And then to have this reminder that that also means that um, eternal torture really lasts forever and that that a, an immortal can can wish for it to be over. I I think that's like a really important sort of like signpost she's giving us. Like the accession is here. Characters are going to die. Loved ones are going to – but that there's still danger for them. Like, uh, you know, high stakes is – are, the stakes are even higher when um, you can live forever. And I, I, I thought that was just like a really interesting, um, I don't know, like part of this story, this like immortals, she, they're going to pay her, right, to kill them. Yeah. Well, and it's also so heartbreaking, which yeah. is a very weird feeling to have after you've watched these incubi, these creatures torture her you know, and everybody else in the cave for weeks, right? You have this moment of real sympathy for them. Yeah. And Which the is fact that she was weird. able to give them, like, have that mercy for them, right? Yeah. I mean, she's she's so, it, it's just another piece of her just being Im- incredibly strong. But also, I would say, it's the first time that we see the witch, witches as mercenaries, in the sense that they literally pay her, right? They give her the golden mm-hmm. headdress as as payment for her mm-hmm. service. And she thinks to herself, like, this headdress means something because it's my first payment um, for the for my right. work. And I and I had a moment where I was thinking to myself, I I had this moment about just sort of the world at large and how um, you know, we we place such value on women's on on work and on on the job the breadwinner and um women have for so long not had access to that and um we place such little value on women's work quote and so there's really interesting interplay here with the valkyries being so consumed by money and jewels Mm -hmm. and like and riches and the best of things and the witches being workers and like wanting to be paid for their skill and I think and and the expectation that they should be paid for their skill and well and I love that um because again it's that sort of unapologetic and it's interesting right because I was like I was thinking when you said that I think I was thinking about Cardi B who I love Mm -hmm. and thinking about like she just came out with this song called Money and all she talks about is like, she likes a lot of things, but mostly she likes money. I was born to flex, diamonds on my neck. I like boarding jets, I like more than sex. But nothing in this world that I like more than checks. Money. All I really want to see is the money. I don't really need to be any the money. All a bad bitch need is the money. I got pants in the coop. And I'm thinking like, I can get with that. Like, it's not really my brand, but I, I really kind of like appreciate like someone saying I work for this and I like to get paid a lot for it yeah I deserve it I deserve it and it's like the the idea that women are always like sneaky or like that you know like we want that money that we want the shiny and it's somehow like we don't deserve it or that it makes us um 
vain. Vain or 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 silly or foolish. And yet Bowen has so much money that he can rent them an island off the coast right. of Belize for two weeks at the drop of a hat. Oh, yeah, that and was that's, nice. Right? Oh, that's, I would like that. <laughs> that was nice. Right? I would like, like that. He, he, he does, like, manage to kind of, like, it's, like, so funny how he keeps messing up because he has really great ideas. <laughs> the spirit is willing. The spirit is willing. He, I think he's a really fascinating character. It, you know, we've talked a lot about Marquetta, and I, I didn't, like, I, I think Bowen just kept screwing up time and time again. But there's a point at which he decides I'm going to keep working for this. I'm going to keep trying. Yes. Yeah. And I found that very, I don't know, like I, I, I appreciated that. he She was working really hard. He was working really hard too. Something that um, really made me kind of sad for him and also made me think about also the traps that men are in. And the when he talks about his old mate who turned out to be like, you know, um, a really bad person he was talking about how like she wanted to change him right so it was like she was like telling him that he needed to be less beastly and that like at one point she said something like my goal is kind of like to tame you or something like that and then like part of what like he really loved about Mariquetta is that she wanted all of it but thinking about like the traps also like of of like men and expectations and like needing to like feel like you need to be a certain type of like masculinity, right? Like all these different like mixed signals that we get about like what's masculinity. Well, and I think one thing that I I liked is there's explicitly a part where um, he talks about Lachlan and, and what he essentially realizes is Lachlan is able to get over, right? He loves Emma's bite. He wears it proudly now. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, and he sort of, it's like, if, if Lachlan can change and grow, I can too. Mm-hmm. And I ended up really liking it, that idea that masculinity, that positive role models for men are, mm-hmm. are urgent and important. Like Mark, she doesn't need that the same way he does. She knows who he is, but there's something about, that relationship with Lachlan that helps him get oh kind of move on and figure out how to do that. Yeah, because he's happy. Like he sees his 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 cousin or his other cousins, right? Mm-hmm. He sees them like really happy and joyful, and it's like I want that. Like if that has a cost, I feel like I'm willing to pay it. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because I just realized this whole series is very much about a desire for the mate, right? Which again is not an ordinary romance. That doesn't happen in all, in most romances. Mm-hmm. In romance, we often see the hero who res- is resistant to mm-hmm. matehood, is resistant to love, is resistant to, you know, partnership. The man, you know, on the island. But that's not what these heroes are. These heroes know that they are they are less of less heroic without a partner. Yeah. And I sort of love that. 
Yeah, she really proposes. I mean, the thinking about when this series started and the kind of paranormal romance that was coming out then, it was very, which was very exciting and very like, like the girl power thing was definitely there. But I always make a very big distinction between girl power and feminism. I don't think they're the same thing. Girl power to me is like, um, like the Disney version of feminism. Like feminism actually goes to the hard stuff, like oppression and like taking a look at the, the systems that are like oppressing and like breaking down and dismantling them and coming up with something new that works for everybody, right? And girl power is about like girls rule equality, but it's, and, and feminism is like equity. It's like a, a, level, a level playing field. And I think about um, that and I was reading when I was reading this book and I try to look at it. Right. Because when I read this book before, I hadn't taken the deep dive into feminism that I have over the last like eight years. And when I'm and I'm reading it again, I'm thinking about the fact that um, Mariqueta is not just looking for like I'm a girl and you need to treat me right. She's like, no, you need to change yourself. You need to change your perceptions about about the kind of person I am, about my kind. And you need to come to me right and, and, and change yourself. Like, I feel like that is a little bit like more profound than just saying like, you know, you and I should be the same or whatever. Like, it's like you need to change too. Well, I think that's also the power. It's, it's internal for her, but the, um, the prophecy at work, right? So she is, it's foretold that a, a, a male of the lore will sort of try and shut her down or like mm -hmm. whatever. And I think it's a, to me, it's just like a, it's a, it's a verbalizing of like our feminine instincts or, or right? Like she has this constant reminder that she has bigger things in store for her than just being Bowen's mate. Right. And I think that 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 to me was like very profound that her like time and time and time again, she insists that she be herself. Yeah. And it that never got old for me. I, I loved that it shows that that's like a constant battle she has to go through or, or like a, a part of the daily life of maybe of, a, of her as a woman but that she is committed to that course of action and therefore she knows like kind of, you know, there's like a North star for her mm -hmm. and she is just always going to be pointing towards it. And great if Bowen wants to point the same way with her. Yeah. Like her calling is something bigger than trying to figure out how to be with him. And Cressley delivers on that promise. Right. And I, and at the beginning of the book, you're sort of told about the prophecy and you're told that, that she's the awaited, right? She's She has this sense of um, responsibility to the coven and to immortals and to the world. Um, but from a craft perspective, it's all well and good as a writer to say like, okay, well, she's the awaited one and she has responsibility to the world, but you have to be able to, del to deliver to the reader um, this piece. And what Cressley gives her is access to all the knowledge in the world right? Mm -hmm. So much knowledge, so much understanding, so much empathy, so much emotion that she literally, once she is pulled away from that mirror, eventually at the end of the book, the rest of the coven 
witches from around the world have to come together to bind her powers mm-hmm. so that she doesn't get herself trapped again by all the knowledge in the world because she's too new with power. And I think that that is really – I mean, again, it goes back to this thing that we've talked about already about Cressley doesn't hesitate to just lean right in. But, like, that when, – when given the option between, like, this werewolf who's great lay <laughs> and – right all the knowledge in the world like of course we're in a position where he is i don't want to say secondary but like he has to as you said adriana like he has to come up and stand with her like he has to stand next to her knowing that he will never be all of that and he's gonna have to feel okay with that yeah like, he's complimentary. Like, he makes her life so much better, but he is not, like, like her, like, the duties that she has and the responsibilities have to be bigger than trying to make herself into, like, the maid that he... Yeah, it's a really bold choice. It's super modern. I don't. I can't think of really any romance novel. I mean, like, I would have to sort of really sit down and think to come up with a book before this where that's the structure i i don't think i can i can think of one and i was and I, and i was trying to think about it um a little bit when i was reading this cuz i was thinking how many books not now that i've like literally like spent the last 8 years like in profound study of like feminist theory that i can read and not throw across the room and this one, like, re- like I kept thinking, oh, no, this is going to make me not want to be able to read it. And I read it and I really enjoyed it. And it really made me think. It really made me think of her. And, like, also, I think the challenge for myself of having to be like, no, this works for her. Like, would I be that? Would I do it the same? Maybe not. Maybe I would have really, like, had to take him off my mom's family plan after he called Mariah's name. (laughs) After he tried to take your birth control. Right. But I like, I think that that's really, truly like the craft that she has. And I think why it's so wonderful that you guys are doing this podcast to really kind of like analyze her writing a little bit deeply. Cause I think like she's done some really ballsy stuff. In her heroines that like really like like rereads well like it stands the test of time well like these books are like 11 years old which in romance is like might as well be a thousand it's years it's a old. generation yeah when cons- i mean you know there's like like here and there there's like consent pieces that i wasn't like oh yeah like i don't know if that would fly if it came out this year you know what i'm saying but it was like nothing major I mean, given when it was written, I felt like there was one point where he's like, she's like, I think, sleeping and he's like, touches her. Right. And I was like, "Mm, maybe that like. But otherwise, I felt like it was pretty good. And it's like it's it's been a while. Like the conversation about consent has gone a lot further since then. Well, and I think that's partly because. um she's so strong. She's, she is so strong. I mean, and we've talked a lot about this, that 
you know, there are heroes I like of Cressley's that, that I feel great about. I love her heroines. Uh, uh, and they're all so different from each other. Mm-hmm. There's, I don't, I don't feel like she's really writing the same heroine over and over again. No. I feel like there's these, these differences between them that make them very compelling and interesting to me. I like her women. Like, Nyx is one of my favorite all-time characters. Well, yeah. Yes. I mean... Yeah. Like, of she's any, perfect. any, any series. Do you think she'll be a good heroine, though, when she's, like, the star of her own book? I don't know. I've been wanting it since the first, like, time I read her. Like, her read her character. I'm like, her book is going to be... But as that series evolved, like, I feel like she's... Like, she's maybe bigger than, like, a love story. Like, I think maybe she's one of those, like, tragic, like, lone figures almost. Yeah, Nix's book wins the Pulitzer. <laughs> or it's just the last one, or it's right? Just like the this, last one. It's just, if, it's, if there's a last book, it's got to be Nix's. Well, something has to talk about an, a requirement for an evolution. I think... I think for sure Nyx has to evolve. And we're seeing, we're starting to see Nyx evolve in the books um, by the time we get to, you know, a year from now when we get to the end of this series. Um, we're starting to see her change. But also I would say, as I've said before, there is never a moment in these books where I can see where Cressley is going. And mm. so um, I would say that if anybody can pull off Nyx as heroine. Yes. It's Cressley. Yeah, I mean, and, and I mean, like, she's been with her now for 20 bucks yeah, almost. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd read it, of course, like, that night. <laughs> yeah, immediately. Midnight download. Don't yes. talk to me. <laughs> um, Adriana, this was amazing. And I'm so glad that you joined us. It was so fun, guys. I was looking forward to it for weeks, and it really lived up to my face. <laughs> we felt the same way. We are so excited to have you, um, and we are so excited to read American Dreamer, which is coming in the spring. Yep, March um, from Karina Press. I assume that like we're gonna have copies to distribute soon. So I'll put. Um, we I have um, Twitter. I'm on Twitter. La Adriana Herrera, and my website is um, adrianaherreraromance.com. So I will have updates there. Great. And we will put all of that into show notes. Um, and will you come back and talk to us again about other books? Yes. If you don't find other people to talk about any of the other 18 books, <laughs> you know where to find me. Are you going to reread the whole series again right now? I mean, I have to. <laughs> well, we now. have to. Yeah. So that was amazing. As our first guest, we were both, I think, really nervous. But I, Adriana, like, could come back anytime. Yeah, and also, I mean, she clearly has opinions about Lothair, and I know she and everyone in the whole world have opinions about Lothair. So um, we'll have to do like a special mashup episode where everybody just tells us what they think about Lothair. <laughs> that is an amazing idea. We actually really should do that. That's incredible. Um. So okay, we uh. So that was um, Wicked Deeds on a Winter's Night, Bowen and Mariquetta's story. And Bowen and Mariquetta will join us again. Mariquetta, obviously, as being, as Mariquetta the Awaited, she's coming back again and again. She's got superpowers, and they are going to need to be used during this session. Um, But next week, we're going to take a little bit of a turn. 
Um, we are going into the vampire world. We're going back to the Roth brothers. Right. And the title of the next book is Dark Needs at Night's Edge. And it has um, a polarizing heroine, at least among our Twitter friends. Yeah, I don't know why. Because I love her. I love um, her too. So the heroine is, we we get to meet a ghost. <laughs> it's ghosts next week in Monster Mash. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, so we're back with the Roths. Um, there is, we are with Conrad Roth, who is the third brother, uh, the third of the Roth brothers. And um, Conrad is, Conrad's in a place, y'all. He is detoxing. <laughs> Chained from, to a bed. <laughs> he is chained to a bed, which is my favorite kind of hero. And, um, <laughs> Me too. Same. And he is um, detoxing from the fact that he has been drinking from the vein, um, which we know is no bueno. <laughs> so, um, but luckily he's chained to a bed in like a haunted house, but haunted by a delightful ballerina ghost. That he falls in love with. God, I love it. And we at least did too. I know. I love it. I, that's so bonkers. Jesus, Presley, why are you so crazy? Oh. I love it. I love it's, it too. I know. I never want her to change. So yeah, there's a ballerina ghost and a vampire chained to a bed. And it gets weird. And I love every minute of it. So don't forget to join us two weeks from today for the um, read-along of Dark Needs at Night's Edge. Um, and don't forget to join us next week for our um, mini-episode where we talk about something fun. And if you have ideas for books you'd like us to recommend to you, if you want to talk to us on Twitter, you can tweet to either one of us or to our Faded Mates Twitter account or use the hashtag FadedMatesPod. So that's been Faded Mates for this week. Don't forget to subscribe using your favorite podcasting platform. And while you're over there, if you want to give us a rating or a review or a like, or just generally say nice things about us, we love that. We do. Everyone craves positive feedback. <laughs> or negative. Be honest. It's okay. I'm like super, super responsive to negative feedback, which I probably shouldn't say on a podcast. <laughs> But it's true. So thank you so much for joining us and we will see you.